Are you ready for this crazy shit? Bop, 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 shwop, bop, bang, billy, wop, bop, ba-dang, dang, wang. Another song, dude. Oh, check man. it out. What? And I, we're in for a crazy one tonight. Oh yeah, I've I've, I've heard uh, just from a little <laughs> bit of sampling I had before the episode. I'm already quite stoked for this episode because this dude is weird as a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, this is probably like one of the like most unique like artists we've ever put on this show, and definitely. The most unknown. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea who it was, and I still don't any have it, really any idea who it is. I'm hoping that you'll clear that up for me tonight, though. Uh, tonight we have Hazel Atkins or Hassel Atkins. It's actually pronounced Hassel. Is it? It's H-A-S-I-L. And he would also be known as the Haze and the Wild Man. <laughs> Both are very, very good, uh, very good, reasonable nicknames for him. And there's a reason why I wanted to put him on an episode. And it's plainly because of a small music genre we may have mentioned once or twice on this podcast. He's considered the inspiration for Psychobilly. Oh, shit. Like him himself? Yeah. That's a... I can see it now that you actually say that, though. And there's a reason why I chose some of those specific songs for you to listen to today. Yeah, because they are the ones that are quoted to have been that inspiration. You know, kind of where you can see, like, where Psychobilly comes from. Some of them, you know, just crazy weird songs or, you know, songs about killing a woman or something like that, you know, just like. Well, and before Ian gets way off the road here, for those who don't know, Psychobilly is a type of rockabilly. We've covered rockabilly a few times because yeah. this is like the prototype of rock and roll where it's more like a almost a country western version of early rock and roll. It's like if you mixed rockabilly punk rock and horror movies yeah and the horror movie theme is kind of uh iconic with the theme but not all it's not mutually exclusive like that not every psychobilly band has that horror movie theme but it is extremely extremely common uh also like weird pompadours and crazy haircuts if you guys have (laughs) honestly if you've never listened to psychobilly and you just like weird music just check out some of it it's it's extremely good to listen to in the right situations i won't say that it's like one of the reasons i have it was big in our youth let's put it that way exactly it doesn't have a lot of longevity you'll get the kicks out of it you'll find the bands you like like we have a couple bands that are me in particular i have a couple bands that i keep like under my arm for psychobilly like you know but they're they're so unknown that i would i would tell you and you wouldn't even understand because it doesn't matter and it's it's not even worth getting into but the genre itself is really interesting. It's, and, it's fun. And just the fact that this man spawns something so off the wall and insane shows really where he, uh, <laughs> where his computer craziness level is. Well, and before we get to a birthday, I want to start this episode off with a quote from one of the articles I read about him. And it says, 
Some girls, liquor, meat, and the Lord gave Atkins something to wake up for over the years. Them and his music, ever since he picked up a guitar after hearing Hank Williams on the radio some 40 years ago, he's been plying some of the most primal rockabilly scronky that's ever seeped out of the backwaters. He spent the 50s, 60s, and 70s performing his one-man freak show at whatever dives would have him and sending out tapes full of tweaked home recordings to whomever would listen. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite a... Uh, I don't know, that's... that's... That says something right there. I, I don't even <laughs> have says words for everything it. Everything you need to know about the guy yeah, in exactly. one paragraph. That is, that is quite amazing. And so, yes, Hassel Atkins, for some reason spelled Hazel but pronounced Hassel, was born on April 29th, 1937, born in Boone County, West Virginia, where he would live basically his entire life. He was the youngest of 10 children. <laughs> Always 10 children, man. And I'm not sure when he died, but his dad would die at the ripe old age of 71. You know, basically a retirement package that was handed to him from black lung disease. Oh, shit. That fucking sucks. So, so he yeah, he was miner. a coal miner yeah. for 30 years. Yeah, that'll do it. And, you know, I mean, it's West Virginia, so he probably drank and smoked and partied. And Yeah, it doesn't matter. Coal mining <laughs> for 30 years will do it. And I'm only mentioning these because... You, it's it's so hard to find anything about this guy. It took me a while to actually dig into this and get real information about him. But his mom would live in a dilapidated shack outside until she passed in 1986. Oh, wow. A shack that he also lived in <laughs> basically his entire life. Oh, shit. So they lived in a shack outside? Yeah. In West Virginia. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's all shacks are outside. All buildings are outside. But yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> like, no real insulation. You know, he'd live in, like, trailers in the same area. Yeah, it. we're getting into true redneck area on this episode. Yeah, that's, this, is it, like, this sounds like some, some classic redneck right here. <laughs> this is like the redneck. <laughs> like when I looked him up on Google, you know, initially starting my research, you ever heard of the Dancing Outlaw? No, I haven't. You ever heard of the Wild Whites of West Virginia? Yes. The Dancing Outlaw was Jesco White, like the originator of that show, basically. Yeah. And that show was about his family. Like, <laughs> Jesco White popped up with him, like a similar artist, or you might want related to or whatever. Yeah. On Google. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, God, we're in for a fucking story. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, he'd start singing, you know, sometime before he was a teenager, and he'd be accompanied by a milk can. A milk can? His first instrument. He would soon switch to a lard bucket. And then a 10-quart water bucket. <laughs> what, like banging on it? <laughs> yep, and he'd just start singing to it. <laughs> he would eventually get his first archtop Gibson guitar in exchange for a particularly potent batch of homemade brew. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> so he's like, hey, man, I got, I got this... Uh, I got this. Uh, I got moonshine. Yeah. Train me for a guitar, bro. I'm tired of playing on a bucket. I, I don't need cash. Give me that guitar on the wall. 
Oh, this is already off to a great start. And so, you know, as a teenager, you know, he'd hear songs by like Big Joe Turner and Fats Domino. And, you know, that was like like those people here, Decots. And that's, you know, like what he started out. But then, you know, he was soon began hearing Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis. He'd end up billing himself as Elvis Hassel Atkins and tried to impress local girls with his crazy renditions of the latest hits. (laughs) That's awesome. And so... Here's the thing I haven't explained about him yet. He is a one-man band. Always has been and always will be. And there's a distinct difference for all of you out there who don't know between a one-man band and a solo performer. A solo performer is like Bob Dylan who stands there with a guitar. And sings. Yes, and sings. A one-man band usually plays multiple instruments and does the same thing. Yep, like drums, you know, you always got drums and... You know, he'd have a harmonica strapped around his neck sometimes, too. And just, yeah, it's it's wild. And I, one of the shows that we actually saw that I, found, that I found to be one of my favorites that I've ever experienced was an amazing band called A Hawk and a Hacksaw. And uh, Jeremy Barnes, the lead singer, that plays a drum set and an accordion at the same time. Yeah, that is amazing. He's got a drumstick taped yeah. to his head. Yeah, like a drumstick attached to his head, and his hat is filled with bells, so he, like, twitches his head to make bell noises and stuff. And then it's not, I mean... It's technically not a one-man band because his wife plays a violin. I don't think that's his wife. I mean, his bandmate. I always just assumed it's his wife, but I don't think it actually is. No, I don't think so either. No, but yeah, like his bandmate plays a violin like standing next to him, so it's not technically a one-man band, but two people produce an orchestra's worth of music on that album. Well, and so there's kind of a legend behind how he got started in the one-man band area, right? Yeah. One day he was listening to Hank Williams on the radio that was powered by a car battery. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a good start. Okay, go ahead. He heard the announcer say, and that was Hank Williams, and he naively assumed that Hank Williams was the only artist playing all the instruments. Okay, I love this guy already. <laughs> oh, he's going up there. He's up there with Lead Belly already. He's gonna go on our uh, Decots like a uh, like God podium list. He's gonna be a, a minor deity in our pantheon. <laughs> I can already tell. Like we're not even like we're like fucking ten minutes into the episode. And I got a quote from him about this. He'd say, "I'd hear all them play and figure." They was doing the whole music themselves, and even if they wasn't, I'd have to get just as good or even better for me to have a hit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I mean, I can almost identify with that a little bit. When I was like a naive early time musician, uh, well, both of us were, how many times did we assume that two people who were playing a guitar together was a single guitar piece and try and figure out how to play it? Because I can think of like so many times when just like mine and Ian's band, we sat down like, oh, I'm gonna, we want to figure out how this thing is played or whatever it is, and we just assumed that two instruments were one instrument, and and you'd be like, this is impossible. How is he playing a chord and also picking the strum? 
we talked about last week actually with uh, Mississippi John Hurt how people thought that it, or we thought that it was multiple instruments yeah. playing a piece when it turned out to be one person. Well, so it, a lot of people did apparently in that time too. Yeah, because it it does make a lot of sense because sometimes, especially if you don't have a lot of like direct understanding of uh, the musical genre, it's hard to. I don't know, pick out certain things to like identify if it's one instrument or two, especially with that thumb versus four finger style. Cause yeah. You get two different lines. And so, well, and he actually uh, did like a, a three finger style Mississippi John Hurt did. So Woody Guthrie only used um, his thumb and one finger Yep, where Mississippi John Hurt would use his thumb and two fingers. Yeah. And so there's just, there's an extra little like, something you can throw in there with that when you get proficient at it and they and like a lot of the most proficient people at finger picking like like classical finger picking yeah. nowadays they use all five and oh it is, yeah it's insane it's fucking it is beautiful i could never do it myself because i i have these weird long lanky fingers that aren't the right <laughs> they aren't the same length at all and so it's really hard for me to do but i've seen some people who just have the like the perfect hands for it and they just relax right on it and they're like oh that comes from years of playing though oh, like that. it absolutely does and then you also also have to have that specific training because that's classical guitar you don't even use the same guitar you would well and there's a whole proper like pose to it like you have to play a certain way like sit a certain way rest it on your legs a certain way like normal guitars you know you rest right on your uh like right thigh if you're a right-handed guitar player well in classical you rest right between your two legs yeah and, and have like kind of that almost it's probably like a 45 degree angle you hold it at. Well, right. And it's very similar to like, you know, like classical instruments of, you know, like say like the cello where there's certain ways to hold it. Because it's all about the ergonomics. Is it? Er it's ergonomics, right? Yeah. Ergonomics of uh, like the how you hold it. Yeah, that and like it produces like better tones with certain postures and you can reach chords or notes or stretches easier in these postures and stuff like that well you brought cello and i think cello is one of the more posture intensive uh instruments that is available too my understanding of it is my manager is actually currently learning how to play cello and so we talk about it all the time and you know he speaks about how when notes are going wrong and stuff like that he can tell when he's out of posture oh yeah so so sometimes it's not even the anything else it's just literally the posture yeah, pretty much. But I don't know how we got onto this <laughs> on, topic. A, on a cello posture. <laughs> We're we talking about a redneck here. Yeah, this, there's no posture, no real posture here. <laughs> the one man band posture right <laughs> his here. His posture is a bottle in his hand, let's be honest. <laughs> but uh yeah, so like I said, he would remain a one man band through his entire career. You know, he tried to jam with other people, but as you pointed out, like some of his beats are a little weird. Yeah, yeah. We were trying to listen to some of the rhythms of what he was playing earlier, and it did. It was nonsensical. Clearly, he was on his own level. Well, and he's a quote about this, and he would say, "I've been studying all my life, but what they, him talking about other musicians, play is the beat. It's all written six beat or twelve beat, but I don't play no beat. I just change when I feel like I should change beats." Ain't nobody that can play with me. I've tried with good people, and they said, man, you ain't never going to get anybody to play with you. We don't know what you're going to do. You just take off. <laughs> <laughs> and when they start playing the lead, 
I just jump in and they say, what you go and do that for? And I said, I just felt like I should start hollering or something. <laughs> we all been there. Honestly, if you're, if you're a musician, sometimes you just feel like hollering. <laughs> And so in 1956, he actually would try to get his music to a larger audience. He'd end up hitchhiking across the country, and he'd end up in L.A. But he would soon grow tired of playing house parties in Pasadena for a sandwich and maybe a beer over, you know, several months. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd up and head home in the middle of the night and possibly missing his shot at stardom by a few hours. Oh, is there a story here? Apparently the next day... Some guy in the record business came came over the next morning, you know, looking for uh, hassle. <laughs> yeah. And he would say about this, I would have made it. Tommy Sands, Fabian, and Frankie Avalon did. Some producer was looking for me with a contract. He handled Tommy Sands. He was looking around asking, where's <laughs> Hassel Atkins at? And the people said, oh, he's gone back to West Virginia. I would have made it. <laughs> and so supposedly some guy came walking around that Frankie Avalon got hooked up with. So he, he seems to think he would have made it. His music's pretty fucking out there though. Like honestly, pro I don't think he would have. <laughs> I don't know. Like I like the guy, but I think the fact that I really like your style is actually a sign that you're not going to make it. Right. Not the sign that you're going to yeah, make exactly. it. Exactly. Every time I hear his music, especially because he's definitely got some songs where it's like, what the fuck was he even doing there? But, you know, I just get a smile on my face because it's just just some dude playing whatever he wants. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, yeah, he goes back to Boone County and he would end up buying a tape recorder and he'd start making himself some demos. <laughs> oh, I could just imagine it. He probably went to like Radio Shack and got one of like the little square tape recorders. <laughs> oh, no. This was the 50s, man. Oh, so he probably got reel to reel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why a lot of the songs I played you were so lo-fi. And yeah, if you guys like lo-fi, you'll dig him because this is yeah. some of the lo-fi-iest lo-fi. And so this is where he truly like would fully take up his mantle as a one-man band and he'd make his own modified drum kit and throw a harmonica rack around his neck <laughs> yep and he'd play for anybody who wasn't trying to openly assault him <laughs> is that a quote or something yeah <laughs> i was like that's way too specific for ian to just come up with <laughs> I'll play for anyone who isn't trying to openly assault me. <laughs> oh, fuck. I like this guy already. And so, yeah, he'd essentially just, you know, record all these demos and send them out to various labels and whatnot and see if he could, you know, make it. Hell yeah. That's how you do it, especially in the 50s. <laughs> well, in, in 1961... You know, he'd at least, you know, get some attention with some independent labels that would end up releasing a whole 300 copies of his uh, dance number, Chicken Walk. Yeah. <laughs> Which has the weirdest YouTube music video, by the way. If you guys they just go through some random, like, chickens moving around and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, I don't even know what was going on. It looked like a chicken stuck in a greased 
like uh, looked like someone greased a plate and the chicken was trying to walk out of a greased plate <laughs> and that was just played weirdly on loop for the whole time but it, the, <laughs> the song was amazing and definitely you should check it's, it out it's just like fun ridiculous music is all it is really and this is the least ridiculous of his music because his music gets way way more ridiculous <laughs> it really does <laughs> like i was I was so excited to see your reaction because you're just looking at me like, what are you even fucking playing? Me, dude? <laughs> and for me to be set off like that, it says something because I do listen to some fucking ridiculous music on the average, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he'd end up releasing a song called the hunch. Another song you he, he was trying to get a dance craze for <laughs> yeah okay well apparently the hunch is a dirty song about what women do when you know they're enjoying themselves during sex oh that's <laughs> the, the hunch that's huh? the hunch it's not arching your back it's the, the hunch, hunch. <laughs> oh that's does that sounds so much less sexy <laughs> Well, he's from West Virginia. <laughs> Doing the hunch, baby. What? He's from West Virginia with very little education, all right? <laughs> he probably doesn't even know what the word arch means. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd release uh, a song called She Said and, uh, you know, another sexy song. Oh, know. yeah. But, you know, keep this song in mind because it'll come up later, all right? Another song called I Need Your Head. This ain't no rock and roll show. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to like this one, but I just couldn't. Yeah, it's, it's rough. But it's a fun little title. And then a, uh, and then a song called No More Hot Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this is the jam. If you listen to no songs from this whole thing, you should listen to this jam because I believe one of the lines is, when I cut your head off, you can't eat no more hot dogs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so I, I assume this is one of the roots where they t start talking about where this is like the birth of, of psychobilly because a psychobilly theme is always this like like almost comedic murder theme where you yeah like, like not a lot only, of times murder ballads yeah because uh, you know an average psychobilly song is probably about some buddy murdering their significant other and then talking to their dismembered body parts but yeah, then it's but also it's always like really like b horror movie yeah like because usually the, the dead person talks back or is okay with whatever happened or whatever it may be that makes it you know that that kind of theme but it it's just so <laughs> it's so perfectly fits because if i cut your head <laughs> off you can't have no more hot dogs ian shout out to some local boys graveyard shift dead oh, girls don't my, cry uh, yeah no dead <laughs> girls are e wait is it dead girls are easy or dead girls don't cry it's dead girls don't cry but dead girls are easy is one of the lines in the song oh right yes okay yeah i that that's back in the day this is back when me and ian were barely out of high school when we used to go see some graveyard shift way back in the day yeah it, it's one of those two titles so look up either one and you'll find it <laughs> yeah. they've got recordings on youtube yeah I, it, they're they're awesome and so he would talk about this time period and he'd say I really made them up back in the 50s as a joke, you know, kind of all us kids run around together, you know, girls and boys and stuff. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just... I just had the recording stuff set up, so I just done it having something to do. And then they took off, man. They loved it. I got <laughs> I got letters from every place in the world, man. Well, that's kind of later in his life. But, yeah, he would eventually, like, garner a fan base out yeah. of this. And so let's get to our first dude check out the song. Oh, what yeah. do you say? So we got Chicken Walk. Yep. The Hunch. Uh-huh. She Said. Yep. And no more hot dogs. Yep, no more hot dogs, because if I cut off your fucking head, you can't have any more hot dogs, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, and over the 60s and 70s, he just, you know, ended up recording in obscurity to, like, independent labels like Avenue and Hub and his own called ARC. And, you know, like I said... I didn't mean this as a stab, but he really was a man from West Virginia with very little schooling. Yep. And he is claimed to have written more than 7,000 songs. Is that his personal claim? <laughs> that was his personal claim. Very few that are committed to paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go ahead and say that's probably BS. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had a certain creative process, Pat. Well, I mean, come on. Like, I wrote a lot of songs in over a 10-year period. I think I made it into the triple digits by barely. I think I wrote 150 songs, and that's if I'm counting everything that I didn't even commit to paper. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no way that... The, that <laughs> well, I mean, you, unless you're literally just writing down anything and calling it a song all you day gotta long. you got to listen to his creative process. Oh, okay. oh my God. <laughs> so, his process was... You know, him jamming on his little one-man band rig, and he'd make up songs as he played. If he stumbled across a lyric or a theme he liked, he'd try and remember it for the next time he recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. The old, just hope I remember exactly how to play all of my songs. So he might have come up with 7,000 songs. Yeah, no, he definitely did play 7,000 instances of a song, but that is very different. He'd say, I never practice. (laughs) (laughs) when i write a song and go up in front of people to play that's when i learn it (laughs) oh god oh i love this guy so much already dude he's like my spirit animal he reminds me of those like those mid-20s drunken open mic days you know what i mean where we would just be like Oh, well, it's Tuesday and we worked, you know, 20 hours, but I guess I'm just going to get fucking hammered 20 miles from my house and try and play a song that I didn't practice. (laughs) I'd just look at Ian on stage and be like, I don't know, how's the rising sun? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, I'm playing these two chords, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the the real go-to. You could tell if we were really uh, intoxicated or really out of material when I would just lean over to Ian and I would just say like, you know, C sharp, D major, you know. (laughs) just like whatever whatever the pairing of chords may be like well and honestly this whole like style of his is definitely what would eventually end up appealing to the audiences he would be able to garner yeah because i mean honestly it takes a special kind of person well his shows honestly do sound a lot like a lot of fun he did drink very heavily so i'm sure there was a lot of duds out there but i'm sure you catch them on the right night and you're in 
you're in for a real show. Well, and it's all it's all it's all circumstantial perspective too, because I have seen some terrible, terrible, terrible musicians, and I had some of the best, greatest shows watching because it was all just right. Like I, I've seen some of those, you know, we used to go down to a little place in this tiny little town in uh, Washington called Everett. And there's a little bar way down by the water called the anchor. And if you go there on the right night, they do open mics and stuff, but sometimes they'll leave well, it. Well, they did. They did. Do they not? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, currently they don't obviously, <laughs> but, uh, it, you would go down there on the right night and they would actually have booked just the worst band you have ever seen, <laughs> but the place would be like almost empty. You could grab a beer with, you know, your date or your friend or whatever it is and sit in this giant, like kind of weirdly like archaic classic styled bar and watch a really terrible band on a small <laughs> stage in the corner. And it's great. That's also the same place we met Dale Hawkins, though. Yeah, no, And exactly. so when that place was happening, it was jumping. Yeah, and that place is pretty magical in general. Like, we've seen some pretty cool acts there. We actually played some really cool uh, acts there with some really great bands that I just now am thinking about, and I'm going to have to remember the names and, and go see if they're still around because shout-out to the Deathbed Playboy. Oh, God, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> uh, and something poison. Poison. The slow poisoner? Yeah, the slow poisoner, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the slow poisoner, the deathbed playboy. That was like 15 years ago, man. <laughs> well, and so upon Elvis's death, people started like actually like digging really deep to find like rare rockabilly albums and stuff like that because I kind of – on his death, you know, like what happens with a lot of artists, that style, his music kind of had a resurgence, you know? And also the people they're inspired by get more famous. I don't know if, why that is. It's kind of a weird thing. But when an artist dies, the people that he was inspired by get more famous. Right. And it's very, very <laughs> interesting. Well, and so, you know, people would find all these rare demos and shit recorded by Hassel and... You know, at the time when this happened, you know, he was just making small paychecks, working as a handyman and a mechanic, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He really only played in front of minors on payday for drinks and tips. Miners like like M-I- coal miners. Yeah, I was gonna say not like M I N O R. I never caught that. Oh, that could have been dangerous. <laughs> hey, kitties, look at this song. This song's called The Hunch. You know what it's about. <laughs> Anywho, well, and so <laughs> this one cracked me up so bad, man. So you know, he through the sixties and seventies, he's just releasing his albums and you know he had an interesting habit to do with his recordings he would send a copy of each record he made to the sitting president of the united states (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome he even received a thank you letter once from richard nixon (laughs) you think richard nixon ever listened to that oh my god could you imagine (laughs) richard nixon put that on and stopped it a second later and be like send that man a thank you letter but (laughs) burn that record (laughs) (laughs) and now let's go break into this democratic convention With what's going on right now, that is not funny, but that is still funny. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) And so, yeah, like I said, he lived with his mom until she died in 1985, right? Yikes. 
But, you know, he was a country hellraiser. You know, loved to have sex and loved to drink. <laughs> he'd, have, he'd be in several nasty car accidents and was arrested all the time. Nice, nice. So he's a <laughs> classic hillbilly. And so he was actually in jail when people actually started buying up his records and looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. But one band, a band that would go on to be one of two bands claimed to have been the first psychobilly bands, the Cramps would go to cover one of his songs. She said, Oh, yeah. And you do you remember the cramps? Oh, of course I do, because they're, yeah. they're it's them and the meteors, right? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I mean, I've it's been a while since I've been like super into psychobilly, but the cramps were never my style. I always like the meteors a little bit better, but yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, because because the meteors get very much more of the classic rock and roll side across, where the yeah. cramps come up come across way more as British punk. <laughs> Even though they're actually from New York and the meteors are from yeah, yeah, which is how, yeah, I guess that is very ironic. But yeah, as far as tones come across, they are polar opposite. They really but, do. Yeah. They really do show like the width of what psychobilly is, though. I right. guess that is a good point. The two originating bands show the two polar opposites of what right. the genre is. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about it that way before. But yeah, and so because of them covering his song, you know, their fans would get into him and he'd start developing this cult following, right? Yeah. And, you know, this is why he would be known as like the inspiration behind Psychobilly because, you know, one of the bands that was called the first Psychobilly band covered his song. Oh, yeah. But he would actually finally be able to put out his first legitimate record that he didn't have to pay to put out. <laughs> In 1983, a German label named DJ Jamboree put out a bunch of his songs that would, you know, it'd have like the hunch on it, all, all of his old recordings and stuff, but it'd have a song called Big Fat Mama, Let's Slop Tonight, Get Out of My Car, which is interesting about Get Out of My Car. <laughs> Besides the fact it's a fucking ridiculous song. Well, there's actually what you could... could could consider for his stuff a high quality recording for this yeah and if you guys didn't catch that i literally did air quotes he, yeah, around he did, high quality he, he did air quotes because everybody can see us at home and so yeah these would all be released on vinyl and he'd claim he received only 2600 bucks in advances and royalties from their releases <laughs> that's probably what you deserve bro if i'm being honest <laughs> when asked if the German label still owned those songs, he'd say, they don't own them because I sent them a letter saying they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't own them because that's how it works. Because I, I let them know that they didn't own it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it probably didn't matter. He wouldn't play them anyway. They yeah. had no fucking idea. Oh, my God. This guy sounds like just the, the biggest piece of work. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure get out of my car is about kicking a woman out of your car because you won't sleep with you. I'm yeah, pretty that, sure that, that's what that song that is about. about right. It's, it's uh, yeah, not the classiest piece that anybody has ever written, but... Uh, As we've established, he lived in a trailer with his mama. <laughs> not the classiest individual, okay? <laughs> 
Uh, I take it back. This man's not going on any of our idolhood. I mean, I guess, you know, every pantheon has, like, its dark gods, right? Yeah. So I guess we do need, like, Hazel Atkins as the dark god of our pantheon. <laughs> the redneck god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the redneck god of, I don't know, get out of my car or whatever. <laughs> and so we got our next dude check out this song. We got Big Fat Mama. Let's slop tonight. <laughs> <laughs> which it sounds which is as disgusting as it sounds yeah <laughs> and get out of my car yeah which, now remember he recorded these a lot of these songs in the 60s too yeah which is insane because you would almost not even believe he'd be able to get away with it in the 70s like but he was doing it 10 years even before that and he didn't give a shit yep well that's what happens when you're that redneck well and so a woman named lena who had drum for the cramps and her husband, Miller, had decided to do a feature on him and review his lo- quote-unquote lost recordings and their fanzine kicks. And they would end up recognizing that Atkins actually had a huge following in Europe, you know, from all, like, bootlegs and DJ Jamboree and all that yeah. crap, right? Yeah. So he would be their debut artist on their record label in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> so the cramps, somebody from the cramps picked him up after they inspired him to be famous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he inspired them to be famous. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. And, you know, he'd come out with such albums as Out to Hunch <laughs> with songs like I'm Happy and Gee, But I Love You. <laughs> <laughs> And you'd have an album called Peanut Butter Rock and Roll, which stop with Stopwatch Baby and Vivian Ann. And then he also had the you know album titled song, you know, which was just like his weird like instrumental song. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd have like you know a little bit more countryside called Moon Over Madison with songs like Going Home Tomorrow and A Fool in This Game. And after that list, we got to get to our next dude. Check out this song, which is. I'm happy, stopwatch baby, going home tomorrow, and a fool in this game. All, all pretty good tunes. It's they're just fun, silly yeah, songs. They're... You have to, you have to look at it for what it is. I mean, they're just they're. It's just done by this, you know, guy who drinks too much out in the woods with some microphones. You know. Yeah, exactly. It does have a heavy novelty value to it. But if you're a musician, take a look at it and listen to some of the weird like. I don't even want to call them polyrhythms that he does because they're not symmetrical most of the time. We were we were listening to one earlier where he was literally playing 4-4 four, four and then randomly was just throwing a beat in. Not in any like shape or any like any just whenever he yeah, wanted. Whenever he needed another beat, he just played another beat and then kept going. And I, I was breaking my brain, but at the same time it was so refreshing and interesting. <laughs> Yeah, he really just did his own thing, man. Like I quoted earlier, why he couldn't jam with other people. You know, he just, he played what he wanted. Yeah, and everybody else is like, okay. In the early 90s, someone named Miles Copeland, who worked for IRS Records, would try and make a deal with him. It'd fall through. Adkins would say about this, I made a publishing deal with him, but see, he broke all his deals. Now he's trying to claim all the older songs. So we, him talking about the labels he was with, just going to cut all new songs, and he won't have nothing to do with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, take that, man. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just write new songs, and you won't, even, you won't even be able to do nothing because these are songs that are new. And so, you know, he would uh, 
kind of get a, a little bit slicker of a sound than what he was recording on with his album, What the Hell Was I Thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great title to an album. It had songs on it like No Shoes, You're Gonna Miss Me, not a Rocky Erickson cover, by the way. No, it's a completely different song. Completely different song. But it's just funny I get to bring him up again. I haven't mentioned him in a while. I have a song called Ugly Woman, Beautiful Hills, Somehow You'll Find Your Way, you know, and have a slightly better quality than everything <laughs> ever ever released. It was, There's definitely some songs on this one where I was just like, I don't know what the hell he's doing, but he's doing something. <laughs> and, and it's technically music, so there we it, go. <laughs> But those songs didn't make my dude check out this song. On my dude check out this song, we've got Ugly Woman and Somehow You'll Find Your Way. Which are the probably the best two out of the lot. So, you oh, know, definitely. Enjoy them because the rest is it's downhill from there. And I don't mean <laughs> that in a negative way, a hassle. And so I mentioned that he was called the wild one, right? But I haven't really uh, told too many wild stories about him. So what do you say uh, we talk about some of his stories? Sure, why not? One of his friends would say about him one night when he saw him live, he was really plowed. Part of the showman stuff is him hitting the cymbals with his hands or throwing his guitar up in the air. That particular time, he threw it, and it went out instead of up and hit some guy in the head. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, literally, we had to go out and buy some Elmer's glue the next day and tape the whole thing back together. And he was referring to the guitar, not the guy's head. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> that guy ended up with six stitches. Oh. <laughs> Damn. That's some showmanship. And so a friend of his would have a story about him, about one time him being on parole for weapons violations, you know, Apparently involving the typical backwood shootout over a girl in which the <laughs> offending parties were too drunk to hit each other with sawed-off shotguns. <laughs> oh, man, these guys are so hillbilly. You can just feel it. You can just feel the hillbilly on it. It's, it's so hillbilly. <laughs> Apparently, his record label would send a uh, note to the judge trying to plead for him to keep working and practicing. And I guess the judge would write a note back that said, Oh, Hassel don't need no practice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, that's perfect. I give that judge an A+. And so there was a man named John who was the doorman at the Empty Glass, apparently one of the few live music spots in Charleston. He recalls the first time he saw Atkins, he was washing down raw hamburger with booze. (laughs) (laughs) He'd he'd say, he's just unreal. (laughs) (laughs) He'd go on to say, that the club owner John Steele would have to babysit, uh, you'd have to babysit Hassel before gigs because he had a tendency to wander off. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Steele would also buy him a half gallon of vodka, and when he wasn't looking, dunk, dump half the bottle out and fill it with water. 
fucking awesome. Apparently one night he was complaining of chest pains from the stage, right? And the doorman recalls, we took him to the hospital and the nurse was like, Hassel, have you been drinking? And Hassel was like, yep. What have you had to eat today? Uh, canned peppers. <laughs> oh, you got heartburn. And she wouldn't give him any tagamet or anything until he sang her a song. <laughs> the next night she came to work and there was a brown paper bag with two videos, a CD, and a couple of 45s waiting for her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> canned peppers. Canned peppers and alcohol. That's what, what he had to drink. Today? Oh, canned peppers. <laughs> well, and really, you know, he was, you know, in pretty good demand for, you know, someone. Who is who he is. Yeah, for the most redneck guy ever. Mm-hmm. And this would actually, like, inspire, like, a bunch of documentarians to try and come down and, like, document his life. You know, basically, the Wonderful Whites of West Virginia-style documentary. And Yeah, let's go, <laughs> let's go watch this, this, uh, this Tiger King motherfucker play, play guitar. Dude, when I was reading his quotes, the Tiger King's voice kept playing through my head. Like, that's what the voice I would hear it in. <laughs> and, I mean, you can actually find, like, a few, like, terrible documentaries about him on the internet which they're fun to watch but it you know they're not like high quality or anything but there are some like 20 30 minute documentaries out there of him and it's <laughs> they're pretty entertaining but yeah so you know he didn't sell a lot of records and so all of his profits came from live shows and he'd have a quote about him playing live and he'd say music makes you happy when i get to playing i don't have no worries it takes all the worries away it's just something that I love. I just love to keep doing that. I don't want to stop. I'd like to die performing. <laughs> Hell yeah. And, you know, I mean, you can't really say it any better than that. Nope. Probably his only unfunny quote I've had in this whole podcast, too. Yeah, I know. That's that's <laughs> the only little bit of real wisdom we'll probably ever get from him. <laughs> <laughs> and so in 2000, Hassel would end up releasing an album called Poultry in Motion, which was compiled of six new recordings with eight old songs that he had, you know. Wait, Poultry in Motion? Yeah. Like Chicken Walk, but it reworded? (laughs) Well, every single song on this album was about his favorite dish, chicken. (laughs) (laughs) This dude is unreal. What the fuck, man? Unfortunately, this would be his last album of new songs he'd ever released in his lifetime. As he was found dead in his home, or trailer, whatever you want to call it, on April 26, 2005, at the age of 67. Damn. Apparently, his death was the result of injuries sustained when he was run over in his front yard by a teenager on an ATV who hated hassle. What the fuck? Yeah, so supposedly, and I could only find this in a couple sources, so I wasn't able to confirm it, but apparently this kid hated Hassel, ran him over with his ATV, and Hassel crawls back into his home and dies. Holy shit, did the kid ever get charged? 
I couldn't find anything on it, dude. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> that is the most redneck death in the whole world. I shouldn't be laughing. Oh, my God. What the fuck? I can't even hang. What the fuck? <laughs> it wasn't even a car. It was no, an ATV. That, that's what makes it so redneck. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, with all the drinking and partying and just craziness. All the drinking and partying craziness he did, man. He ended up getting hit by an ATV. He was time. assassinated by, a kid, by some punk kid in the neighborhood who didn't like him with an ATV. <laughs> Oh, I'm not trying to make light of the guy's death, but holy fuck. Holy shit, man. That is that is unreal. I was not re- <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, man. I'm sorry. I just wasn't I wasn't prepared. What? Like I he wouldn't have a death like this in the oh, most redneck episode I, I, ever. I guess I guess I should have seen it coming, but I just assume. I, <laughs> well, he didn't see that ATV coming either. Oh, Ian, <laughs> Ian, come on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to. Did he at least get a gravestone? Yes, he would be buried in Van Buren Gerald Cemetery in... Van, that's the name of the city, apparently. Boone County, West Virginia. Oh, okay. So at least he at least got a headstone. That's something. Jesus fucking Christ. And so before we get to our last thoughts, I got one more quote from him. Oh, yeah. Hit me with it. I like this. He said, I didn't try to be primitive. I just had bad microphones. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, I take it back. He is definitely the, the newest member of the dark pantheon for our for the Decox pantheon. He's the, he's the Hades. Of our- Dude, he's he's up there with Lead Belly. He's, he gets to sit on the bench with Lead Belly. Because Lead Belly's the, la- the razor slasher. Oh, my God. And so now's the time for some last thoughts if you got it. Dude, any. what the fuck you want last <laughs> thoughts from me for? Um, holy shit. Holy, holy shit. Sometimes I forget that people like this actually exist. And I, I, I thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I am absolutely blown away by the existence of this person. And... <laughs> And I genuinely going to listen to so much more of this music. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing, I mean, if there's one lesson you take from this, it's like never give up. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like some of the most successful people say, you never fail. You only learn more lessons in which you need to succeed. <laughs> I don't know if he learned anything, but he sure did something. Oh, uh, I. I I consider this man a success. <laughs> and if you want us to be a success, yeah. <laughs> you, we're definitely not redneck enough for this kind of success, though. Yeah. We really need your help with, like, stars and things. Yeah, so if you'd be so kind as to run us over in the front yard with five stars on whatever social media you <laughs> listen to. <laughs> I am so going to hell for that one. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, guys, we love you. You're the best. Uh, Just 
keep listening to decods tell your friends i don't know do good things for other people don't run people over with four runners or four wheelers um i, I don't <laughs> live, live like hassle did <laughs> or don't <laughs> <laughs> or don't whichever you prefer live however you want <laughs> thank you for another amazing week with dude check out this song we say it all the time but i we seriously do mean it we love you guys have a good night